0: Good morning, Redeemer. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, We thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that you spoke your word to a people that you redeemed. Uh, Your law is broad. Your law is perfect. It revives our souls. It divides our hearts, God. And I pray that as we gaze into your law, that we would be able to see the one to whom the law points. By the grace of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that we would be able to, to witness the beauty of Christ today. And I pray that in seeing Jesus, our hearts would be transformed to desire him above all other desires. I pray that we would have more than just informed minds. I pray that we would have transformed hearts. And Lord, we pray this in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can have your seat. A 16-year-old boy is walking down the street on a balmy, boring summer night. He and his friends have just finished a day of just playing out in the streets it's uh, been a time where uh, the, the, the night is beginning to set in. It's kind of between uh, day and night, a little bit of uh, the dusky area. And he sees this pear tree that's in an older neighbor's yard. And he and his friends decide to kind of wander over into this area. They're trespassing, but they look around and they notice that no one's there to see them. That no one's watching them. And so after a few dares and double dares, they decide to take turns climbing up into this pear tree. And they shake the limbs until the fruit falls down onto the ground. And they begin to gather the pears. And they they gather so many pears that there's not any fruit left on the tree. And it's, it's, it's rather interesting because they're not necessarily hungry. The pears don't look particularly appetizing. However, they they run down the street. They're carrying all these pears and they, they begin to sink their teeth and to savor these bites that are stolen. And they don't even finish all the fruit. Rather, they just leave the pears to rot. They leave them to be ruined. And they steal, essentially, not because they need the food, not because they are hungry. They steal because they're somehow attracted. They find pleasure in the idea of stealing itself. They, they find desire, they find pleasure in doing that which they know is wrong. Now this is a story that's so seemingly innocent and common that you could think of that would happen in my neighborhood last night, your neighborhood last night. Um, it could have been a story from your childhood, any one of our childhoods. However. The interesting thing is this is actually a story that was originally written in the 4th century by one of the greatest thinkers and theologians that Christianity has ever produced. It was a story, rather a confession, by the great Augustine of Hippo. And he retells this story not because he's just wanting to tell his own autobiography or to write a memoir. No, he tells this story because... Looking back on that central event, Augustine saw something that was very unique about the nature of humanity. He saw this as, in some ways, a personal reenactment of the fall of man. That oftentimes men and women are drawn by their hearts to desire things simply because they're wrong. That we're drawn to the sinfulness of sins. That we have this long standing craving. For forbidden fruit. This is the thing that we notice in our lives. Maybe experience has taught you this that even when you know what is right, we often desire that which is wrong. And because of this, we're radically unable to be able to live up even to the own standards of good behavior that we set for ourselves, much less the righteous standards set forth in God's Word. This is why the great C.S. Lewis once wrote, That no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. I found that to be true in my life. Today we're concluding our study of the Ten Commandments by looking at the Tenth Commandment. And it's the commandment that forbids coveting. I'm going to define coveting as the desire to desire what is sinful in itself. Thus the Tenth Commandment really does comprehensively apply to so many different situations in our life and that's why there's this comprehensive application embedded in the 10th commandment itself this is verse 17 of exodus chapter 20 the 10th commandment you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's now most of you are probably pretty safe on the whole coveting of the ox thing right have you ever seen an ox and you're just like i gotta have that ox No, however, if we were to take an account of our own hearts, if we were to do the work of self-examination, how much of your thought life would you say is consumed with desiring someone else's comfortable lifestyle? How much of your thought life is consumed with thinking about how nice it would be if you had someone else's salary, someone else's marriage or family, someone else's success, someone else's popularity? Someone else's ability to be able to be liked and belong to a friend group. Maybe you wish a little too often that you had someone else's brains or maybe someone else's body. How often do you compare yourself to others? How often do you complain about your life? How often do you think that someone else has it better? Constantly thinking that if I could only have that person's life. Would you say that you are often grateful for what you have or do you more often feel entitled to that which you do not have? Do you ever secretly feel good when you see other people suffer? Or to use a phrase from the Puritans, have you ever grieved for another's good? See, whenever we do that painful work of self-examining, if you are like me, you've probably realized, you know what? There are times where I... Look within my own heart, and I see things that are unhealthy and unwholesome. And when you see that, you you realize that there's truth in the 10th commandment that we need, that we need to apply to our life. And so, what we're going to do is look at the 10th commandment essentially as the commandment of desire. And as the commandment of desire, it really does function as the appropriate climax and summary of the 10 commandments themselves, that it is the summary conclusion. ...of the law of God. It teaches us a great deal about how the law... ...should function in the Christian life. And so I want to talk about three relationships that this creates. Number one, the law of God and the relationship it has with the heart of man. The law of God, number two, and the relationship it has with the grace of God. And number three, the law of God and the relationship it has with the beauty of Christ. So the law of God and the heart of man, the law of God and the grace of God... ...and the law of God and the beauty of Christ... Point number one, the law of God and the heart of man. When we begin to understand what the Bible says about humanity, what the creator's words in describing humanity reveal, we will see that the Bible actually teaches a fascinatingly unique vision of humanity. See, a lot of modern thought is governed by the idea that we are what we think, and so that our ideas and our brains kind of direct and determine who we are. However, the Bible teaches something different. The Bible teaches that we aren't what we think as much as we are what we desire, that our desires are the root of everything that we do. This is why the book of Proverbs challenges us in chapter 4, verse 23, to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life see the bible is saying that the heart is of central importance to our spiritual life a few weeks ago uh, the elders and i were meeting together and we were able to look at our financial reports and we discovered some very very good news um, by the grace of god we are are on course to actually take in more revenue this year as a church than we were expecting Uh, We are actually under-budgeted. And so we took in more than what we were thinking we were going to do. And so we had an option for for us, which is we have extra money. What are we going to do with it? You know, do we give people a whole bunch of big raises? Do we buy a hot tub for the back office? Do we... Do we do things that we can spend it on ourselves? And um, I love our elders and our elders decided, you know what, we're going to spend this um, not at all in the church, but we're going to support our, our, our missionaries and we're going to support mission projects that we um, believe are doing great work in the world. And so uh, one of those great projects is a Christian Relief Fund. We talk about them a lot. We partner with them a lot. And Christian Relief Fund, one of the things that it often does is it goes to a a dry place in Africa called Turkana, which is one of the driest places in the world, and they drill wells. They drill water wells for communities that would have zero access to water. And um, you've probably heard Dr. Milton Jones um, talk oftentimes about uh, the water wells and how meaningful they are to those communities. And one of the things that... uh, uh, we were talking about even just between services is there's a, there's a terrorist organization there called Al-Shabaab. And Al-Shabaab does some wicked things, but I can guarantee you this. Those villages that have water wells, they're going to guard those water wells from Al-Shabaab to their life. Um, because this water well is the life of the village. Because of this, they're going to protect it. They're going to examine it, make sure that there's not any type of internal pollution. They're going to guard it from all external evil because if something goes wrong with the water well, the village dies. And the exact same thing is true of our hearts. Something begins to go wrong with our hearts. If there's external evil coming in upon it, if there's internal pollution rising up within it, we need to address it because our hearts are the very center of who we are. One way to think about this is what we think, what we say, and what we do ultimately flow from what we love. What we think, what we say, and what we do ultimately flow from what we love most. See, this is why the sin of covetousness is such a poison to our hearts. Covetousness is this sinful desire to exalt self above all else, above God and above our neighbors. And because of this, covetousness can be destructive to our lives and to our relationships So the bible challenges us to keep watch over our hearts To realize that not all of our inborn desires are good now, Oftentimes if we were to feed those desires Those desires will turn into tyrants and those desires will destroy us that they will kill us So I think there needs to be the question that's asked is what What are your daily habits training your heart to desire What desires are you actively feeding? You see, and I think as it's related to covetousness, we need to understand that we live in a really unique age where our world is saturated with things like social media and celebrity gossip. And I would even say that it might even be more easy than it's ever been to cultivate the desire of covetousness in our hearts, to see a vision of the good life and to to make our heart pursue it and to chase it. I think it's interesting that we see all these images on Instagram and Facebook of the houses that we want, the families that we want, the vacations that we wish we could have. And oftentimes we're part of the problem. We use things like social media to project the image that we want people to value. We want people to ascribe worth to us and value to us based off of this awesome life that we are trying to selectively present to the world. We are doing the very exact opposite of Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, which says... Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, I think that's a really interesting verse, especially in regards to social media, in regards to Facebook. I mean, that's basically why it exists, to become conceited, to provoke one another, to envy one another. That we now have designed this apparatus by which we actively foster and cultivate this in our hearts. No wonder, study after study shows a direct link between social media use and depression. So you see, the 10th the commandment is challenging us, calling us out of, of that lifestyle that is so easy to get into. It's, it's so subtle that oftentimes we don't even really understand that we're cultivating our heart to desire something that will ultimately harm us. So the 10th commandment by converse is, Challenging us to eradicate covetousness and to instead cultivate godly contentment. To cultivate this correspondence between what we possess and and what we have. And what God has given us and our ability to be able to desire that. We virtue contentment by trusting in God. By being grateful for present possessions. We cultivate this by being faithful to our present calling. And you see, it's in the spiritual posture of gratitude and peace that God promises to lead our hearts to desire what he desires. This is what Psalm chapter 37, verses 3 and 4 say. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God is faithful to to lead us and to guide us. However, the question is begged, what if there is something fundamentally wrong with our heart? What if we feel this constant gravitational pull towards sinful desire? I I, I don't know about you, but I, I know I see in my heart, there are times where my, my heart is, is desiring that which is wrong, and I feel like there's not an ability to control it, that there's not an ability to, to be able to eradicate it. What can we do? Maybe you're in a place where you're, Struggling with habitual sin that you know is wrong, that you're sick and tired of. You see, the prophet Jeremiah actually says quite honestly that our hearts are deceitful. That they are desperately sick. And that leads us to this next point, which is the law of God and the grace of God. It's interesting that the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. God had redeemed his people Israel out from the tyranny and slavery of Pharaoh. And he had brought them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and to this place where they were to meet with God himself. And God's presence overshadowed this mountain and shook the earth. Thunder and fire and lightning announced this awesome God who wanted to relate with his people. And God gave to his people his word, his law. And despite what you think about the law, the Old Testament law, the people of Israel actually viewed the Old Testament law as a gift, something to be treasured, something to be valued, because among every single nation, God chose this group of people and he gave his word to them. Because of this, the people of Israel actually had an annual celebration where they celebrated that God had given them his word. It was called the Feast of Weeks, another name for that feast is the Feast of Pentecost. See, even in the Old Testament, the law was never meant to be a task list used to perform for God's affection. Rather, the law was meant to show what a life of freedom looked like, what a life of joy and righteousness looked like for an already redeemed people. However, this law, and even the original Feast of Pentecost, pointed beyond themselves. They pointed To a greater need for an even greater deliverance than the one told about in the book of Exodus. Because you see, eventually the people of Israel did enter their promised land and they dwelled with God. They were able to inherit this promised place where they were to dwell with God. However, as the story of Israel and the history of Israel teaches us, they catastrophically failed. They catastrophically failed to keep the righteous rules of God and in fact... The law exposed this sinful desire that was within them. Romans chapter 7 even says that the law even provoked sin because it showed and revealed that which was forbidden. And once we knew what was forbidden, that's what humanity does. We go for it. We like that forbidden fruit. The interesting thing is, despite this dark spiritual condition, the prophet Jeremiah, that same prophet that said that our hearts were deceptive and desperately sick that same prophet announced hope for god's people he said that one day god was going to give us new hearts that one day god was not going to give us a law that was simply written on tablets of stone but rather he was going to author those words into our very hearts and motives that he would reveal us that he would heal us that he would transform us by his grace this is The words of the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This was a promise, a promise that was meant to provoke hope within our hearts. And when we turn to the story of the New Testament and see the story recorded in Acts chapter 2, we see that God kept the promise of Jeremiah chapter 31. That by his grace He unveiled the Holy Spirit and poured it out upon his people. And now for all who love Jesus and trust in Jesus, we are granted a new heart with new affections and new desires by the Holy Spirit. See, this series should cause a question to arise in your mind. We're looking at the Old Testament law as summarized by the Ten Commandments, and we're also believing the truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, you might be asking the question, why should Christians study the Old Testament law? Why would we study something like the Ten Commandments? And here's the answer. See, God hasn't just saved us from something. He has saved us to something. He hasn't just saved us from a life of unrighteousness. He has called us to a life of spirit-filled righteousness. And a portrait of that spirit-filled righteousness exists in the Ten Commandments. More than that, Christ hasn't just taken away our sin. He has given something to us. He has imputed to us, credited to us, given us as a gift, his righteousness. And The Ten Commandments exist to be a type of portrait of the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to every Christian that believes in Jesus. You see, we cultivate righteous desires in our hearts when we partner with the Holy Spirit to take hold of what Jesus Christ has achieved on our behalf. And we foster this when we come together for worship. When we sing songs of worship. and We come together in the presence of God. When we study God's word. And when we experience the proclamation of the gospel. When we come together to take the Lord's Supper. And when we break apart and we're able to have meals with one another and share life with one another in christian community whenever we participate in christian mission and we love our city and we love those in our world that are in need whenever we take advantage of these avenues these means of grace the holy spirit comes within us and he molds us and shapes within us the desires of christ see whenever the holy spirit does that work of sanctification within us he is slowly but surely aiming our hearts to desire the beauty of Christ. And that leads us to the next point, the law of God and the beauty of Christ. See, it would be an unbelievably great mistake to assume that somehow Christianity is anti-desire. That God wants to rid desire from our hearts so that we can be this stoic, cold, motionless, religious group of people that we're righteous because we don't desire anything. See, that description the goal to eliminate desire is more in line with the religion of buddhism than it is biblical christianity rather scripture invites us into an explosively better joy than the fleeting pleasures of sin thus as the theologian john frame describes the the ten commandments are actually designed to point us toward the beauty of christ To help us realize who He is and what He has accomplished so that our desires might reach their fulfillment in Him. See, the first commandment teaches us to worship Jesus as the one and only Lord, Savior, and mediator. In the second commandment, Jesus is the one perfect image of God. In the third commandment, Jesus is the name of God. The name to which every knee will bow. In the fourth commandment, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In the fifth commandment, we honor Jesus who restores us to the divine family as he submits to the will of the Father. In the sixth commandment, we honor him as our life, the Lord of life, and the one who gave his life that we might live. In the seventh commandment, we honor him as our bridegroom who gave himself to cleanse us as his bride. In the eighth commandment, we honor Jesus as the source of our inheritance and as the one who provides everything that his people need in this world and the one to come. In the ninth commandment, we honor him as God's truth in whom all of God's promises are yes and amen. And in the 10th commandment, we honor Jesus Christ as our complete sufficiency. The one who will satiate every single desire of our heart. This is why the great C.S. Lewis once wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is offered by the offer at a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So, Redeemer, my challenge to all of us, as we look at this summary of the Ten Commandments, is that we would be a people that reject covetousness from our hearts, instead work to foster among one another this desire for godly contentment, that our lives and our relationships would be defined by that godly contentment. That we would be a people that would take hold of the new heart that is granted to us as a birthright by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That we would desire the beauty of Christ above all and find our satisfaction in Him and Him alone. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. That in your presence there is fullness of joy and life forevermore. Thank you that the invitation to follow you is not an invitation to dreary abstinence and dutiful obligation. Rather, you invite us to a greater joy than sin could ever give us. Lord, we confess that we need our hearts to be changed and renewed. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would renew us even right now as we are in this place of worship. I pray that as we come before your table, that your Holy Spirit would make the reality of the gospel so real to us, that we would be a people that are challenged to to rest in your grace and to desire your kingdom above all. Lord, thank you that you are God worthy of all worship and all praise, God, and we pray that we would be a transformed people that desire you above all else. It is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, amen.